Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. We are coming to you on The Chris Johnston Show. Uh, not only from our respective abodes, unlike what we did on this week's show on Monday, uh, but on Remembrance Day, a very important day in history where we remember the lives lost through to war, uh, and not just uh, white soldiers, but black soldiers, indigenous soldiers, other POC soldiers, LGBTQIA soldier, soldiers as well. It's very important that we take the time to remember uh, those lives lost just to ensure that we are able to have our freedoms so we can do the everyday things that we do. So I'm glad that we we're able to wear our poppies to acknowledge that. But I also want to mention, I guess as like a starting point for us to start today, today is also in a really weird way, uh, an anniversary of a pretty controversial thing that happened about two years ago. And a lot of things have changed since that day. It's Don Cherry, who was long at Sportsnet, long on Hockey Night in Canada as this authoritative voice in hockey. Uh, he lost his job two years ago on this day for his commentary on poppies. Uh, if you remember the quote, uh, you people, you love our way of life. You love our milk and honey. At least you can pay a couple bucks for a poppy or something like that. You people, whenever you start a sentence off with you people already, you are in the wrong. And it's really interesting that, uh, we are doing an episode on Remembrance Day and Don Cherry seems to come to mind on this day. He does. And, and, you know, in a lot of ways, Julian, for me, what we've seen happen and continue to happen with some of hockey culture being challenged and, and shaken up is, you know, I think a lot of it starts there. And it's, it's, you know, it's hard to connect all the dots here, right? Because a lot of different things have gone on that leads to Bob Murray resigning, that leads to Joel Quenville and Stan Bowman resigning, that leads to Bill Peters having to resign. You know, it's, it's not the same type of infractions or, or indiscretions that that led to that place. But I do think the broader culture is part of what fostered the environment where those things could happen. And, you know, I see Don Cherry as very much being a part of that. You know, I must say I was disappointed this week. There, There's an article in the Toronto Sun um, that Joe Warmington wrote with Don Cherry. You know, it's just much what you'd expect. You know, no regrets, no changes. Says he should have said everybody instead of you people. And, you know, I, I just think giving him that platform I mean, what what should I expect? Of course, you know, Joan Warmington's been very loyal to Don. I get it. But, um, you know, I, I've thought back on that time a fair bit myself. And, and you know, I was working uh, doing the headline segment at Hockey Night at the time that happened. I actually vividly remember being in the room uh, with the other commentators when he said it. And literally it was like an audible gasp. Like, what? Like it wasn't, you know, because sometimes you're half listening. You know, maybe we're preparing for our segments or what have you. But it was like one of those moments where like immediately in real time, it was like, did that just happen? And I'm sure that must have been something that was repeated across the country or in bars or other places where the volume was up and people could hear what Don had to say in that segment. And, you know, it, it was long overdue, frankly, for you know him to be removed from that show. Um, you know, I know that a lot of people that worked on that show were very close to him as a person. You know, I didn't get that myself. You know, I was only there a couple of years while he was there. I came in much later, obviously really know him more from watching him on TV as a kid than, than anything. Um, but, you know, the kind of codified language he used, you know, there's just no place for it. So, yeah, I, I just 
it, it, it occurred to me that a lot of what has happened since then, I think, can sort of be tied to that time. I have some personal regrets, too, honestly, Julian. Like, sure. You know, it's funny. I won't mention any names, but there was a couple people that were my friends that worked at Sportsnet, but not in the hockey department at that time that were reaching out to me during this brief period, you know, was kind of a controversy, whatever you want to call it, saying, like, why aren't you speaking out about this publicly? And the truth is, you know, I was as mortified as anyone by what he said, but I, I kind of felt like I was like a fourth line winger on hockey in Canada. If you know what I mean? Like I, I didn't feel like empowered to, to sort of speak up against one of the, the much more important people to the show uh, publicly, you know, obviously that's a misuse of my platform. And like, I recognize now where I was wrong to think that way. You know, there was even a conference call at the time that they, they told everyone that, that they, an internal conference call that they were firing Don Cherry and, and the person leading that call said, no one should speak out about against this guy that, that, you know, he had a great career here and I don't want to see anyone speaking about it. And, and so, you know, I do regret that I didn't say more at the time um, because yeah, it pissed me off then. And I don't feel any better about it now. And, you know, I don't like seeing him get the platform where he can still speak to, to this, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's really all I, I got to say. It's just, it was just on my mind this week that, that kind of the bookends to this, that I didn't probably, I didn't say enough then. I certainly didn't publicly. And it was long past due that, that he was removed from that show when he was. And I, I do think we're going to get to a much better place in our sport and with, with people like him having less of a platform. That's a lot to process off of that. Um, I remember that night, I guess when the when the video, I saw the video on Twitter. I don't remember specifically I was out if I was at a Habs game that night, if I was out somewhere. I just remember being out at a bar and pulling out my phone and watching the video and hearing the clip and hearing him say what he said. And I thought, well, that's just Don Cherry. He always says this kind of inflammatory rhetoric, but nobody is going to bother to check him, and he's just going to stay in his job because. And you can look through the tape. He said so many BS things with regards to with regards to poppies, with regards to non North American players, with regards French to Canadians. women in locker rooms, French Canadians, Euro- like European this, players. Swedes. Yeah, this is a this is a guy who we allowed to spew bullshit for years and years and years. Not to mention, not to mention, he couldn't even really add anything positive in terms of analysis to the game. Especially, look, think of the people we hear from now. Uh, like during a Sportsnet or a TSN broadcast. And I'm going to include you in this as well. Like it, it costs nothing to, to to listen to a Saturday Night Headlines or or an insider trading where, you know, you have people who report on the NHL every day and they give you information on what is going on. Or, hey, maybe someone who will give you a, hey, uh, this advanced stat thing or this advanced stat thing. Why do I need to hear from some coach who, uh, you know, was is a, you know what? I almost said something I shouldn't have said about Don Cherry, but dude was just not useful in the role that he was in at Hockey Night in Canada. And the fact that he was allowed to be in the position that he was in, I didn't think for a moment that he was going to lose his job over his comments. So when he did lose his job over those comments, I was very, very surprised at that. And it was a long, long time coming. It was. You know, it's funny, like, the week before that happened where he, he said that, you know, a couple of the bosses, the big bosses came through, I remember, and 
you're there in the hallway with their families, you know, it's a Saturday afternoon or early evening and, and, you know, they're getting selfies with Don Cherry, of course. I mean, like this guy was an icon uh, in, in a lot of ways uh, in Canadian media. I think at one point he might've been voted as one of the most famous or the most famous Canadians. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly very recognizable figure. You know, I was a few times on the road in the same place where Don was and like, it's like the entire room would empty in his direction. Like you, if, I remember once in the Winnipeg airport, you, I thought I was walking through with a member of the Beatles or something, uh, the way people reacted to him. And so, you know, you're right. It, he, he was allowed to have that power. I think the power went unchecked uh, for a long time. You know, probably even the bosses were afraid to speak up to him. Um, but, you know, I think you and I both support the idea of wearing a poppy. We certainly support the idea of honoring soldiers, but, you know, we want to, we want an inclusive game. We want everyone to feel welcome here. And, you know, I just think that that was something he didn't do. I'll also add this. I completely understand if people wouldn't want to wear a poppy because of the treatment of soldiers when they do return home from war. We, we do try to have moments like Remembrance Day to remember them. And on when November 12th hits, a lot of people just look at those same people who have no housing or in very dire straits and just see them as nobody. So I am not going to be a person who is going to, uh, you know, advocate and push and, and, and heckle people to wear a poppy. I'm certainly no. not going to use you people, but uh, I it's it's it was nice of us to to wear one for today. It's uh, and it's not something I'm going to judge other people for if they don't. Um, but yeah, Don Cherry, uh, good riddance as far as I'm concerned. I don't even know if I, good riddance, really. This, I'm just going to leave it at that with Don. But I am happy that you made the connection with regards to some of the sweeping changes we've seen in hockey since Don Cherry left. And when we think of the people in positions of power who have abused it, who essentially need to be done with in order to usher in a new generation of hockey people. You have to think about Don Cherry and his place and you have to, it's easy to make those connections with some of the people we've seen since. And and it seems as if the latest guy to kind of fall victim to that is, is, is Bob Murray, the Anaheim Ducks GM. And I'll be quite honest with you. Um, I heard about, the fact that he was going to be on administrative leave while I was on the airplane going back from going back to Montreal from Toronto. And I was very surprised at it. And as the days have gone by, where obviously as we're speaking now, he has since resigned and he is now in the now in a alcohol abuse program. I'm hearing all this stuff about Bob Murray and how he was as a person and, and kind of like rumblings. Like I didn't know anything about Bob Murray as a person. I'm, I was, so I was very genuinely surprised that it came to that. So um, what were your thoughts on, on hearing that story and, and seeing the fallout since? Well, I was surprised too. You know, I, I think there is this thought out there that, that everyone knows everything all the time. And, and, you know, obviously I'm in a, privileged position inside the media you know i've been around bob a little bit um certainly don't pretend to know him well or anything like that but you know we're talking about a very old school hockey guy you know 45 straight years he worked in the nhl back to when he was a player uh to a scout uh, to someone in administration to the gm of the anaheim ducks for almost 13 years i mean this is it's hard not to look at the fact that that a lot of this happened over the years, you know, the things that ultimately led to an investigation into his behavior and ultimately his resignation. And, but we're only reported here in the last few weeks. I mean, mm-hmm. this is where we're already seeing 
you know, the effects of Kyle Beach, I think having the, you know, we, we've obviously applauded him for speaking out to, with Rick Westhead being open by putting a, a face and, and a heart and, and his emotion to his story, the, the, the awful details of what he dealt with in Chicago. But I think that, mm-hmm. that the fallout from that now is you, you do have a little bit more empowerment for those that have felt that they've seen inappropriate behavior uh, in NHL workplaces to, to come forward and speak up. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite interested to see what else, you know, might, might come from this Julian, because, you know, I'm with you. The, the more we've heard about what was going on with the ducks is this is just sort of was part of what it meant to be a duck. I mean, Bob Murray worked there for 16 seasons, I believe, you know, 13 in the head job, you know, at one point he was even the head coach coach. of the team briefly, uh, you know, after making a coaching change, Um, you know, obviously had a lot of power in those walls and didn't use it uh, in in the best manner possible at all times. And, And so, um, you know, I, I, I do hope from a personal level that, that, you know, his treatment gets him to a better place. But the fact that this all happened in a span of like two weeks um, is really quite something. And, and it speaks to the power of that NHL hotline. I know we're not in a spot here where the NHL is getting big praise or anything like that. But the, the fact that they have an independent hotline that's administered by Deloitte um, that we've now seen lead to what's happened here with Bob Murray, potentially to other people. You know, I, I do think is is a good place to start. That that some of the culture of secrecy around this league is is obviously going by the wayside, and and you know, it's it's amazing right now as we're talking in November. You've got two interim GMs and an interim head coach for different teams for different reasons, but it's all related to things that have happened just you know since this season started. I wonder if we really are in the midst of like a really big reckoning shakeup because what happened with the Blackhawks was devastating to hear. And obviously the guys who are in power with that organization are are no longer there. And uh, when we heard that the league had sent out a memo to every team, essentially, you know, saying that they do not want a repeat of that and they want people to, well, I won't say that they want people to go up and step up and say, well, yeah, they kind of did. But actually they demanded in that memo, October 28th, like you have, you, it's mandatory that you report yeah. incidences that are unlawful or clearly across the line of what the league wants. Yeah. And they have so to be they, reported to Gary Bettman or Bill Daly or this hotline. Like, I mean, basically these things go right to the top. Yeah. So thank you for that clarification. Actually, you are right. Um, but the Ducks did this. Who's to say another team doesn't step up and do something or say something like, I, I don't know. It's just like, like one, sometimes for some of these things, all it takes is one instance to kind of set everyone aflame and then everyone realized, well, hey, you know what? These people found strength to do this. We should step up and do something. Like th- this Ducks thing is the direct answer to that memo. It is. And, you know, we've talked about it with like the mental health stuff or, or substance abuse. Like the players having an ability to share that makes it easier for the next player. I think that the more these incidences are being called on the carpet, whistleblowing, however you want to refer to it, I think it does get a little easier if there's someone out there that, that feels they've they've been on the wrong end of something like this and, and they, they now know, I mean, there's a lot more awareness that there is this resource available. I mean, you can email that hotline, you can call and talk to an operator in English or French, or you can leave a voicemail in one of nine languages 
basically all the, the European languages that, that hockey players or people in hockey commonly speak. And, and that will be relayed to the right place. You can do it anonymously. You can you can report uh, with your name. I mean, there, it, it, it's very clear to me that, that the league is setting a high bar here before, you know, higher than it's been. It's saying this is mandatory, which I take to being there could be punishment if you don't do it, if you willingly ignore something now. And they're making it easy to to report what's gone on. I mean, it's we're not even two full years since Akeem Aliu, you know, had to take his allegations from Bill Peters to Twitter because there really wasn't a mechanism like this. And it's not and I'm not certainly saying he should what he should or shouldn't have done. I mean, he 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 certainly got, I think, the outcome he was hoping for there, although not entirely. It sounds like, you know, there's still some unresolved issues between Nakeem and the league. Um, but but what I mean is he, he called attention to something he wanted to bring attention to that way. Um, but now I think there's a lot um, maybe less intimidating ways. I mean, I don't know how to put this because, you know, I've never had to report something like this. Uh, right. But I, I'm sure it isn't easy. Um, and so it's a little easier if you can do it with some level of discretion. So, yeah, I. I think it's a significant development that a that this is that Bob Murray is being investigated for you know alleged incidents that happened over a number of years to both players and staff, and that you know they were all only reported here in the last couple of weeks you know since essentially the Kyle Beach story got blown wide open. So um, you know it leads me I, I don't know of any specific instances like I'm not going to sit here and speculate where else trouble might be. I mean I, I, that's not fair to anybody or productive. Mm. But I, I do think it's reasonable to assume that the culture we're talking about has produced other bad actors, bad, bad incidents. And, you know, I I think this is a reckoning of some degree. I mean, HLPA is doing an investigation, too. Right. We don't know where that will go. Like like I, this thing has a lot of tentacles and, and I don't think they're all evident to us yet, Julian. And, and, you know, the Bob Murray thing was a surprise to me as of 48 hours ago. And he's already out of his job. I mean, who knows? What, what the next sort of landmine will be or what the next explosive piece of news might be. The last question I'll ask about the Ducks is uh, what's next for them in terms of uh, filling in uh, the role now vacated from from Bob Murray in terms of interim? What are they going to do with it? Like, tell us what's next for the Ducks. I would say that, it you know, it's early days, but it's it's possible that they don't fill in for, for Bob Murray, like permanently replace him until the offseason. Now, you know, something could come up in the meantime where that changes. But, you know, for the time being, uh, Jeff Solomon, who's an assistant general manager for them, will be their interim uh, GM. You know, they also have Dave Nonis in their front office, who's been a general manager with the Toronto Maple Leafs and Vancouver Canucks. You know, very experienced uh, person in terms of being the the point man running an organization from a hockey standpoint. And he'll be leaned on heavily as well. (laughs) And, you know, it's funny, like a team like Anaheim kind of, I don't know where they're at in the rebuild, but they're in the rebuild. You know, this is probably an easier time, I think, for the owners of that team to take a breath and really survey where they want to go next. You know, one thing we haven't got to yet, because I think we're still focused on these incidents, is is I feel like because what we're talking about is hockey culture here broadly and, you know, sort of that culture of secrecy, the old boys network, however you want to label it. I think there's a lot of opportunity with the next wave of general managers that are hired to, to go in a lot of different directions, to hire different types of people, whether that be, you know, women, people of color, even if we're talking about white men still, but maybe that don't have the traditional hockey backgrounds that you've, you've typically seen people have to get these jobs. Europeans, yeah, lawyers. I, mean, I, I think that this does open the door to that. I mean, it's again, 
it's too soon to say that we're now going to see this wave of brand new GMs, but I think it's at least plausible. I mean, you have two interim GMs as it is right now, the possibility of more things happening. And, you know, if you still look league wide, like a number of people that occupy those seats have been in the sport for a long, long time. And, you know, I don't want to say anyone's guilty just because they've had a career in hockey because, you know, obviously that's not the case, but, um, you know, I, I do think that this could be a real shakeup in a lot of ways. And so you know, it sounds like Anaheim will be patient and, you know, I expect Chicago to be patient. In fact, I don't think Kyle Davidson, their interim GM, I expect him to get the full season there. And so, you know, let's see how over time, what kind of candidates emerge for these jobs, because we might get to a period this off season where four or five GM jobs are up uh, to be hired. And, and the sort of the retreads or those that have been in those positions before won't really be considered. So we have uh, that done with the Bob Murray instance in Anaheim. Uh, another story that broke this week, or the latest uh, installment of that story, is is with Carey Price. He was in the league and player association uh, pr- program, uh, the assistance program, I should say. Uh, he released a statement earlier this week uh, outlining the fact that he went in because of substance use. I believe he spoke to his teammates before he dropped that statement as well. And uh, now it looks as if he's trying to just get his conditioning back so he can return eventually to the ice. I'm not going to waste time and ask where, when you think he'll be back because I think it's a waste of time to even speculate that because he'll be ready when he's ready. But what were your thoughts on on seeing Carey Price take to uh, the internet to reveal why he went into the program and just what he's been through over these last few months? Well, incredibly brave, incredibly strong of him. I think we should, you know, really say he didn't have to, he didn't owe us anything. Like if he didn't ever want to address this head on, if he didn't want to get specific, if you just want to say, look, I was in a bad place and I had to get that looked after. I mean, I think that would have been totally fine as an explanation. I wouldn't have expected more from him than that. And so for him to essentially get ahead of it and, and, you know, release this statement, it sounds like it was all done by him. It wasn't a, a case where the Canadians put him up to it or there was a long back and forth. I think it was something he felt quite strongly that, that he wanted to do. You know, I, I, I tip my hat to him. I, I think that that, again, it's just, it's one more, it's one more brick in in a wall, like in, in a good way, like a wall that's that's taken us to a better place as as a sport, because it's definitely going to be easier, you know, when the next player has to deal with something like this. I mean, Carey Price is a superstar in, in one of hockey's most covered markets. He's Team Canada's goaltender. You know, he's been a, he's been an NHL star for a long, long time, and so that he's not hiding, I think, is amazing. Um, you know, I, I think it's important to note too, like. There's this conditioning aspect of this, like his knee wasn't even healthy when he left enough to be cleared to be a full member of practice. You know, his, you know, his recovery is ongoing too. Like he was spent 30 days in a treatment facility, but, um, you know, I think he should be given all the space and time he needs to be sure that, that he's ready to jump back into the grinds of the season. Because obviously, as he mentioned in his statement, like he got to a pretty dark place that he pushed himself to a spot that, that was difficult to get out of. So, you know, I, I just, I commend him for it. I, I'm actually blown away. Like when you step back, Julian, like we're, this has been such a crazy time in our sport, but like how much is, how much people have discussed about these type of issues, like John and Drew I know Robin Leonard was in there early. You know, I, I just think that there's a, a real openness happening and, and, you know, I can't help but be encouraged by it. I'm sorry to hear that Carey Price got to that spot. I'm sure it's been really difficult on him and his family, but um, I think there's a lot of power that can be uh, 
leveraged out of him, you know, being willing to, to share his, his story, to, to admit, put his hand up and say, look, looks like I got my life together. I've been one of the best goalies in NHL for 15 years, but look at, I still have struggles too, like everyone else. Absolutely. And there's no, sh- there's no shame in admitting that you're not okay. And there's no shame in admitting that you need help. I think that's the biggest takeaway from both Jonathan Drouin and Carey Price uh, taking their time away from the Montreal Canadiens is that even players who are as highly regarded as those two or as highly paid as those two, they go through a lot of issues that could easily happen to people like yourself and me. Uh, you know, superstars and athletes are not these, we like to project them as invincible people who are able to ward off any distraction or any problem that comes their way and are able to just be successful at what they do because of the level of focus. But even they could fall through the pitfalls of life and need that time to basically be helped back up. So I think the biggest takeaway is that, you know, not everyone is invincible and nobody is above help. And Gary Price kind of showed that uh, with with what he's gone through and the statement that he put out uh, on social media the other day. Yeah, there's you know there's so much pressure in these jobs, right? It's so public facing. Mm-hmm. It's got to feel like you're on the treadmill too. Like once you get into a season, the games are basically every other day. You're traveling around. You're managing your body. Yeah, I mean, it's not hard to imagine how you could find yourself in a tough spot. Um, and you know, look. I think the other thing I take away, you know, it's sort of when we talk about the culture issues too, Julian, like this Mm -hmm. isn't unique to hockey or to pro sports. I mean, you know, the person who delivers your mail might be doing, going through what carry prices for some of the same types of reasons. Like, even though there's not a, again, not an obvious link to what their stresses are. I mean, um, you know, I I think that that kind of maybe demystifying some of, you know, so much of what professional athletics is, you know, and, and I've, play a huge part of this in my job, right? For my whole adult life is sort of building these guys up. It's, you know, marveling at their exploits, celebrating the things they do amazing that you and I can't ever imagine doing on ice skates in a game, played at that speed, all those things. But, you know, I think that there's value too in in, in being really real about the fact that, that it, there really isn't that much difference between uh, Carrie and you, Carrie and me. Um, there's really not that much difference between all of us anywhere in the world. Anyone who's traveled a lot, you, you start to understand that is that um, we got way more in common than we do that separates us. And, and it's, it's only that we focus sometimes on those separators. And, and, you know, maybe part of what will come out of this is we'll just talk about the players a little differently, talk about their experiences differently, talk about the teams differently. Um, you know, that, that might be helpful too. Absolutely. Um, I realize, uh, and maybe you all at home are listening to this episode and you're realizing that we're kind of flying through a lot of these topics. We've tried to make this podcast as efficient, uh, not because of, you know, you know who, but just because we kind of had to make it that way with the uh, efficiency of the podcast. We went through Don Cherry. We spoke about Bob Murray. We spoke about Carey Price. There's obviously a lot of other stuff we could have gone to. We didn't even discuss the uh, the settlement between the, the former uh, Pittsburgh Penguins uh, minor league assistant coach Jared Scaldi and his wife with the team, uh, unless you have any extra thoughts on that. I mean, that ended up just kind of settling earlier this week, but that's not even a story we were really able to get to uh on on today's edition of the cj show um you can cut me off if you have something to add to that but if you don't that's totally fine well um, you know what i'd say is and and we kind of got it this monday with the nas cj question like I, i'm having trouble talking with the games right now yeah and i don't know how you're feeling julian but 
you know, I'm still watching hockey every night and still doing that part of my job. But, you know, this is this has been a hard time, honestly. Like, it's hard. you can't just you can't just uh, how do you put that? Like, you can't just separate the two and pretend one thing isn't happening to the other. And, and you know, it won't be that way necessarily all year. Like, you know, I, I do think that there'll be hope that comes out of this period. But I mean, every week we've been encountered by really serious off ice stories, you know, things that are so big that, you know, it's hard to then say like, Oh, this team's struggling, you know, like to try to, to try to discuss it in the same podcast or put it in the same light. I mean, um, you know, I, I wonder, there must be other people feeling the same way in the sport. I don't think it's just the fans or members of the media like us. You know, I think that it's just a big uncertain time. And, you know, I, I haven't, I feel really disconnected from the games. That's that's a feeling. And you know, I go, I've been going to games pretty regularly, but it just it's hard to view it in, in the same light, um, given what's gone on. And you know, when it comes to the, the Scaldi situation, you know, I think one thing we're all looking to see there is just you know what what becomes of Bill Guerin, right? I mean, he was expected to be named in a lawsuit that Aaron Scaldi and Jared Scaldi were going to file prior to that settlement. Uh, obviously that didn't happen. So Bill Guerin, you know, would appear is, is free of any concerns about being part of litigation, but you know, his role with USA hockey is very much up in the air. And, you know, I've, I've reached out to USA hockey a few times. It sounds like they're in no rush basically to name a general manager uh, or clarify, you know, what Bill Guerin's status might be with, with them. Um, you know, he's still under investigation from the U S center for safe sport is Bill Guerin and related to this, this incident, uh, with Aaron Scaldi and Clark Donatelli, who was coaching the, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins when, when Bill Guerin was running that team. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think we'll have clarity on his role as it pertains to the U.S. Olympic team uh, until there's some sort of ruling there. Um, but, but you know, that's that's kind of, you know, we don't know the details of a settlement like that. You know, I can't tell someone they should or shouldn't settle. I mean, that's that's the decision they made they thought was best for them. Uh, but th- there could still be some ramifications uh, for another general manager in the league, depending how things go in that that safe sport to investigation. One other thing I just want to mention too, I was realized I was just trying to list off the fact that we had listed off all these different things, uh, and it has made it very tough to connect to the games and and act as if they're the biggest things going because there are very serious things happening off the ice, and we're just listing off stuff with regards to. Uh, very serious allegations, but we are, and, and again, I realize with the mood of the podcast, it's going to be a downer when I mention this. COVID 19 is still out there, and the Ottawa Senators have been very much going through it. They have a number of players in COVID protocol, and as we're recording right now, it looks as if they're still going to be able to, to play against the Los Angeles Kings, but who knows if that could change before game time, and who knows what that could look like heading into this coming weekend with the with the amount of games that they have coming on as well. I'm, 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 I'm for one, I'm a bit surprised after they announced Matt Murray and Alex Formanson were going to be on COVID protocol from the Ottawa Senators uh, earlier on Thursday that uh, they're still going to be playing hockey. I'm, I mean, yeah, I, I, there's a lot going on uh, beyond the ice that I have to admit, if you're a fan of the game, it's kind of hard to just act like nothing is wrong. Right. Well, look, COVID is going to be something we're all living with. I, I mean, the Ottawa Senators are a completely vaccinated team. Their, their traveling party's vaccinated. And obviously they're dealing with breakthrough cases here. And, and you know, a group of players, eight are in COVID protocol as we're recording this. And their associate coach, Jack Capuano. I mean, the, the way the NHL approaches these things, Julian, because I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of people in your boat that are confused why this game's going ahead or or what's going on. It's it's really case by case. And, 
in simple terms, when, when teams deal with COVID issues, they don't get any cap relief. And so there are a number of teams. If you go to cap friendly right now or Puckpedia, like, like half the league is in long-term injured reserve as it is. And so if, if any of those teams had eight players unavailable for one game, it's hard to imagine that game going ahead because they wouldn't have the cap space to add anyone to replace them. You know, that isn't a concern for Ottawa because they're, they're a team with lots of cap room. And so, you know, while they're, they're icing a pretty diluted product, I think it's fair to say, you know, they are able to still have a, a full 20 man roster dressed for these games. And I think that's ultimately why the games themselves are going ahead. You know, they've taken extreme precautions from my understanding in terms of really spacing out some some players and staff are staying in hotels in Ottawa to be apart from their families just to be sure. Obviously being tested every single day, masking everywhere they are. I mean, kind of back to the scenario that the last year was in terms of protocols. And you just hope you can get it under control. And, you know, I think the league has been prepared for this. Um, no one has pretended this would be a smooth se- season, at least that I've talked to at the league or NHLPA level at any point, like leading into this year. In fact, there was a lot of skepticism Um I'd say in September from people at pretty high levels that, that the Olympics would happen. Uh, yeah. If only because if a bunch of games get pushed back and get delayed and rescheduled, they're going to need that time set aside for the Olympic break in, in February to, to basically play those games because they don't want to extend another season into August, of course. And so, um, you know, that that's kind of, it, it's actually dissipated in the last six or seven weeks because we, we haven't had any games to this point, Knockwood, uh, be rescheduled. You know, the Senators are dealing with probably the most uh, extreme case of this right now in terms of the numbers. Uh, And from what I understand, too, all the players are at least somewhat symptomatic. And what's important about that is if you're symptomatic and you're positive, it's 10 days minimum that you're out. And so, I mean, these guys have entered on different days because it's been basically different, you know, a group of players each day this week. But, you know, at minimum, they're 10 days from when they were, you know, received that positive test. And so... This is very much an active situation in Ottawa. I mean, if more players produce positive tests, if they get to 10 or 12 or 14, I mean, I, I hope that doesn't happen, of course, but, you know, maybe we'll see some of their games rescheduled and then we start to contemplate, you know, how will this affect the Olympics or not? Let's wrap up our show with Stick Taps, uh, the segment we do every Thursday on the Chris Johnston show. And I understand that the person who I'm going to give a stick tap to uh, is for a situation that I wish she did not have to endure. I wish it was something that her son did not have to endure. I wish that the Chicago Blackhawks and everything that endured with Cow Beach was just total, just nothing. And it never happened. We never have to bring it up. But I have to give a stick tap to the mother of John Doe too, who bravely went on TSN and poured out her heart and soul to Rick Westhead, who was doing very important journalism and detailed as much as she could about what happened to her son at the hands of Brad Aldrich, the former Chicago Blackhawks video coach who was convicted and jailed uh, and is now a registered sex offender off of his abuse of John Doe 2. And I just want to give her her flowers. I want to give her praise for being as brave as she was, being able to pour out all of that information to Rick. And Rick Westhead said something on the Steve Dangle podcast that really stood with me. And I hope that we were able to continue to to bring that energy towards, you know, we were all in the hockey world supportive of Kyle Beach after he uh revealed what went on to him to Rick Westhead on TSN and all the support was there for him. We need to have that same support for the mother of John Doe too as well. We can't just have it 
just because we don't know the person's name of the victim, we don't know the person's name, uh, we don't know John Doe's mother's name, just because we don't know those names doesn't mean we can't support those figures in in this story that has been unraveling. And I understand it's been very tough for all of us to take in, but the fact that we care, the fact that we want things to be better and we don't want a repeat of this, that has to be remembered as an encouraging and a positive sign in order for hockey culture to truly change because we could have otherwise just said this was just another story and we don't really care about it but through platforms like this and other platforms uh that we're on we are bringing attention to the story and having the mother of john doe 2 uh use tsn or just use any platform to speak about what happened to her son is something that will help going forward with regards to seeing change in hockey culture. And I think she is deserving of a stick tap from us. She is deserving of way more than a stick tap. She is deserving of of so many things. And I, I, I wish there was a way for every bit of pain that she has endured over the last few years to go away. Um, but I just know that she's just strong and that family's strong. And I, I just hope nothing but the best for them. Well and that's said, how we're going to wrap it. Thank you. I, and that's how I we're going to I had a lighter hard uh, stick tap, but I, I think I'd best leave it aside because I'll, I'll just uh, mirror you on that one and we'll see where we go next. That's fair. I understand this episode was very heavy and very tough to listen to. Uh, you can probably tell in the energy that we're bringing on the episode. Not that we uh, uh, it, 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 it was tough. Today was tough to talk about, but also um we have more episodes to come. Monday, we'll be back with Ask CJ. Uh, I know I teased the grab bag at the last uh, Monday episode. Uh, we'll bring back the segment when it's appropriate. Uh, I almost thought I lost the actual grab bag. As you say, uh, you still need to do some arts and crafts on that thing. So you're, you're yeah. lucky. You get, another, you get another week to address that issue. Yes. Also, um, and I understand this is not the most serious thing. I understand at the end of last episode, I called out a member of the media, Mike Stevens, uh, over, uh, you know, some hanging out stuff. Uh, we are good. Just in case people are wondering about that, we're good. There's no genuine beef. Uh, that's my dude. He's doing a lot of great work with the Hockey News and Sports Illustrated. So, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was just fun to, to have that little back and forth. Uh, but uh, subscribe to The Chris Johnson Show wherever you listen to podcasts. So Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music, carrier pigeon message in a bottle wherever we are pretty much wherever you can listen to this damn podcast which is damn good if i might add subscribe to the sdpn youtube page subscribe to the toronto star so you can listen to so you can sorry read uh chris johnston's work uh, the inside the NHL columns and any other stuff that pops out throughout the week and subscribe to the athletic uh where you can listen to this podcast and all the other great content that is there don't forget to send chris johnston a question on uh for our ask cj segment that comes on monday and for cj i'm julian saying so long and peace peace bud Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie.